This is a special feature from Overdrive. And now, here's our broadcast. I'm Todd Dills. How to preserve traditional approaches to pre-CDL big truck training while developing required curriculum and other elements of a pre-CDL training rule will no doubt be one of the significant issues members of the Entry-Level Driver Training Advisory Committee grapple with over the next months. Independent owner-operator Cody Blankenship of the Waco, Texas area spoke this past Friday with me about how he learned on a two-stick Mac with friends of his family on their significant acreage off-road primarily, getting to the basics of it and studying for the written test more or less on his own with help from those with experience on the road. Once he and a friend had passed the written test, his friend called his dad, owner-operator Dale Boney, who brought over a single-axle GMC hooked to double grain trailers for the two to take the skills test on the spot. The biggest problem I had was the straight backing with the doubles, says Blankenship. But nonetheless, he passed the test, moving into work ultimately with a single-axle dump truck and a tandem dump, developing his driving chops locally well before he went over the road several years later. Congressional language that requires a pre-CDL training rule written as part of the MAP-21 highway reauthorization in 2012 specifically calls out, quote, classroom and behind-the-wheel training, is what it's after for pre-CDL training. But significantly, it also defines a qualified training provider to include not only public or private driving schools, but also a, quote, motor carrier or owner owner or operator of a truck. Committee member and North Carolina-based owner-operator Brian Spoon asked about traditional training, uh, traditional person-to-person type training approaches, had this to say in a conversation we had prior to the second day of the initial committee meeting last month. Those are going to be the points that are going to be the hardest to hash out. How are you going to, um, but, you know, there's, they've got to have set standards. The rule, MAP 21, says it has to be. Congress says it has to have. We have to have standards. And if that means that there has to be some sort of a course that is developed for that everyone has to go through, that's just the way it is. It's like, you know. It's just like being certified, you know, your dad's a welder and you're a welder, but to get the certification, you still got to go through a course to get the certification. You still got to take the class. And you still got to put the minimum amount of hours in and, and yep. so on. So. Technicians and stuff, and I think about all kinds of professions where that's right. the case. I mean, like, literally, you know, in, for taking an 80,000-pound vehicle out over the roads on the public highway system, all you have to do is go take a test. Spoon later brought up the subject during committee deliberations, asking, are we saying that once this all comes out, you will have to pay and attend a formal school? There will be no more learning it from family tradition, or you're taking the individual father-son operation out of the mix? There are many people for whom this is their family business, and they train generation to generation. TCRG Consulting's Richard Wilson who was in attendance at the meeting himself, talked through some of his past efforts at training drivers when he was managing a small fleet of trucks. The following conversation was recorded during the ride he was kind enough to give me to the airport following the end of the meeting. So please excuse the occasional interruption of the GPS unit in his pickup. The talk started with his description of a particular driver that he'd eased into the business in a manner similar to how owner-operator Blankenship and so many others got their start in trucking. Well, over the years, I've taught many a driver how to drive a truck and you know with my experience and and just knowledge and was in a position where I had a fleet of trucks that had a large facility that we moved a lot of trailers so I 
brought a boy in that had never driven a truck in his life, wanted to be a truck driver, didn't know how to break into it, and I brought him in, get hired him to do yard jockey work, which he basically learned how to back a truck more than he knew to drive it. And then uh, after he got comfortable, I took him down and got him a CDL permit. Um, I had a short run. It was about 40 minutes from the yard, straight local run, and uh, had another fellow that was doing it and uh, put him in, to merge onto DC in that truck. North toward US 50. And um, went ahead and put him in with in, in with Kenny, and Kenny would ride with him or would, you know, ride with him and with his permit. And, you know, once about a month, month and a half, Kenny come to me and he said he was very comfortable with him driving. So next couple days, I had a couple loads to pick up. So instead of sending one driver twice, I sent Kenny and this fella down to pick up the chickens. And um, so I would, he would go down, just like I said, local, and he did that for a while and then ran around doing pickups for me locally. And then when he got comfortable with it, I sent him up to uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, out of Delaware, uh, basically just to uh, get some interstate experience and, and, and run him around in basically that type of category. And then once he... Uh, he got comfortable with that. The winter went by and he got to do some foul weather driving on pretty much flat ground on the East Coast. The driver eased into the business of doing the work, essentially, which may well be familiar to many of you. My talk with Delaware-based Rich Wilson continued on various aspects of training, including the nature of both pre- and post-CDL training today, and the role many large and small trucking companies play. It starts with a return to the notion of traditional kinds of training. That kind of training... As Wilson sees, it must be allowed for and in whatever rule emerges from the driver training negotiated rulemaking committee. As a technical note, when Wilson refers to the school he's worked with, it's a reference to a technical college in his home state of Delaware. There, there may be uh, some exception for this kind of informal training uh, process and the ultimate rule, given all the you know, objections that we've heard today from some people about, you know, if, if we're going to go down this road, uh, worries about eliminating that kind of thing, which is, you know, traditional, has been going on for years, clearly it's uh, produced a lot of proven safe drivers, your experience attests to that, but, um, you know, in general, as I understand it, you don't, you don't have a problem with minimum standards. No, I do not have a problem with minimum standards and covering certain basic items that need to be covered in the training process. Uh, I think that is definitely needed. I think that there needs to be points that are probably missed um, that are general points that just need to be reviewed and gone over and use like a checkoff program to where you could check off what a driver's accomplished, how many hours, you know, they, they've done that before they move on to the next. One of my biggest things is I have a problem putting an untrained driver in unfamiliar weather condition. It's just like urban, you know, maybe you need to drive, you know, get more experience in an urban environment before you start driving downtown New York City or, you know, uh, sure. in Atlanta. So there's areas that need to be improved. I think you're seeing too many. I don't think there's a high amount of serious crashes involving bodily injury, death, 
as much as there's property damage by inexperienced drivers. Okay. Driving in ditches. Two miles. Continue on to John Hansen. Hitting least. bridge, you know, overpasses, stuff like that. Um, I think that's a lack of experience. Um, you know, the, the, them saying that there's no data that proves that, that training produces safety, I think it's a common sense fact. A better trained driver that has more road time experience naturally is going to evolve as a safer driver just from seat time. You know, um, I, I really find it, what I really find appalling is where they take a driver and goes to a major truck driving school and there's no control, there's no, um, you know, nobody's watching them on the amount of time that driver spends in a truck before they're like, well, we need a driver, so is he okay? And the trainer says, well, yeah, he could use, well, he's, he's good. All right, let him go. Yeah. You know, there's no set. Um, you know, at least with a formal school, like what I've been involved with, they go through a set curriculum over a set period of time, and when they graduate, they've met certain minimum basic requirements. They've had to pass each developmental portion of that course to move to the next part. But I do believe, I do believe in training. I do believe in training. I think we need more training. I, I don't, you know, I see it especially like in rodeos where these are professional drivers that are safe, accident-free, million milers, and they still practice these courses all the time just to hone their skills. Yeah. So, you know, what's not to say that a lot of drivers could use, you know, additional training occasionally or, you know, just do a few little odds and ends or exercises to hone their skills. You know, I, I, I'm not against that. You know, that should be part of the, the process. It One, it shows that the company cares about their drivers. It shows that they have a uh, atmosphere of safety, um, and, and you know, and it recognizes that you know the drivers is a little bit more than uh, more of an asset than uh, you know just a liability. Right. You know. Yeah, and then back to thinking about it on the whole front end of things. Um, as long as there is a. I want, I want, it's it's going to be interesting where they go with this, you know, the whole what is a trainer idea. You know, what, what kind of is a, you know, are we going to be required, every trainer going to be required to have some kind of formal certification? I mean, say they left, say they leave it open to, um, to uh, you know, individuals like yourself uh, to, and they give you a, they give you a checklist, um, they give you a. Curriculum, right? Um, and and you, you're able to still to go and, and teach that informally. Um, I wonder the only the, is that you you would, you would to, totally support that. Oh yeah. And but uh, you know, I wonder the question, of course, is going to be you know how how do you uh, how do you prove it? it? Yeah. yeah. How do you police it? it? Yeah. Um, that was and that was my thought earlier today in the meeting when they were discussing it. Um, and it goes the same with the schools and everything else. Who's you know the schools are under no scrutiny, and I'm like community colleges, truck driving schools at this point. 
is right now they may be part of an association, right. um, you know, PTDI, people like that, that sets a standard, you know, for yep. them and, and sets course standards. But that doesn't mean that they're that they're following those standards or following those rules. Right. It just says that there's a set of guidelines they go by. You know, regulation is only as good as enforcement. So, you know, they can't, they're only doing 2 to 3% of trucking companies in enforcement right now. How in the heck are they going to now start enforcing all of these schools? And how many schools are going to pop up out of nowhere as, you know, a, a financial... They create the market for yeah. this now. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, what you know, what's going to quantify the quality of the school? Um, is the school going to you know? And and we know that the atmosphere and the nature of this is make it as minimum as possible to pass the requirement to get them out there and get them into it. And Owens made a good point. The insurance companies self-insure themselves. Because what do they do? They say you can't hire a guy that doesn't have three years over the road experience, a couple hundred thousand, you know, verifiable miles. Yeah. Small companies, right? Right. Well, number one, the big companies are pretty much self-insured and can dictate themselves on what you know what their do, their yeah. guidelines are. The smaller companies aren't going to have that benefit. So you're basically, if you're a new hire CDL driver that goes to a school, you're going to have to go to a major carrier. To get experience, which is not always a bad thing. Right. Don't bash the big truck driving schools just because they're there to bash. You can gain a lot of experience dealing with unforeseen circumstances that go in trucking. Get experience in, in, in you know, um, <clears throat> contact, uh, you know, dealing with people, um, you know, learning from other drivers, experience from other drivers. Make a positive out of it. Don't always go and say it's a negative just because it's Snyder or it's Warner or somebody else like that. I don't have a problem with them. It may work out for you. Well, that's fine. But in other people, it's not going to work out. Well, guess what? It's probably 90% of the trucking companies aren't going to work out for them. Then they need to be an owner-operator. Then they control their own destiny.